Welcome to the Wellness Plus Podcast, featuring interviews with health and wellness professionals empowering you to take control of your health and happiness. Feel better, look better, and live better today by subscribing right now for new episodes every week. The Wellness Plus Podcast is brought to you by wellnessplus.tv and made possible by the generous donations of Psyche Truth Patreon supporters. Now here's your host, Certified Holistic Health Coach, Karina Rachel. Hello and welcome to the Wellness Plus Podcast. I'm your host, Karina Rachel, and I'm joined today by Chandra Nelogal. He is a yoga instructor and he's here to talk to us about the traditional history of yoga. So thank you so much for being here today. Thanks for welcoming me. Yes. Can you just start by giving a bit of background into how you became interested in yoga and maybe what drew you to this practice? Got it. So uh, I started doing uh, just regular attending yoga classes while I was in high school in India. And I kind of continued it on throughout my engineering education. And there was a, for a few years, there was a pause uh, when I went into profession and I moved to US. And then again, I uh, started, uh, came in contact with a yoga instructor up in Boston area. And uh, that's where I was, again, restarted my classes. And uh, he encouraged me to pursue the yoga instructor certification course. So I did that course, got my certification, and uh, was teaching for a bit there. And then I moved to Austin. I continued the teaching at uh, Chinmaya Mission. And I've been teaching for a while now, like a little bit more than 10 years. Wow. So when you say that you began taking yoga classes in high school, is it part of the curriculum, like required curriculum to take yoga? Or is that something that you kind of were able to seek out on your own? It was outside of the class, outside of the school system. It was uh, on my own. And then can I ask maybe what drew you to yoga classes as a teenager? (laughs) Yeah, it was primarily encouragement from my grandfather. He just wanted me to have some regular physical activity. Mm -hmm. And uh, that kind of what uh, started that. Right. And then kind of moving to the other end of the spectrum, studying engineering. You mentioned you even have some inventions and some patents in that area. Yes. yes. So I've been uh, working as an engineer for nearly 20 years now. Wow. And uh, I have, yeah, I do have uh, like 12 plus patents right now, mostly in the area of data storage. Uh, I work for a big data storage company here in town. So Wow. And then you're still teaching yoga now here in Austin. Yes, that's correct. Cool. Can you talk about maybe how um, your yoga practice works in balance with this career and you know, a very high-tech industry? Yes. So yoga practice definitely helps uh, me, uh, you know, kind of bring the awareness, bring the awareness to the practice, mm. uh, bring awareness to the spiritual growth, that part is fairly important to me. And yoga practice has really helped me with that. Right. You know, here in the West, we um, have really embraced yoga so much over the last few decades. And it's something that has uh, just been more and more introduced to the mainstream. But I'm interested to hear your perspective, having been originally introduced to yoga in India. How is it different the way that we practice yoga here in the West or the way that it's presented? Not too much of a difference from a class setting to class setting point of view. Not a whole lot of differences, except uh, in India, most of the teachers, the names of the postures are you know, called out in Sanskrit. Mm-hmm. Um, there is a little bit more usage of kriyas, as in the cleansing techniques. Mm. Um, like, for example, if you are in a class, like maybe once a month, they might do a kriya, which is like a cleansing technique mm-hmm. uh, on the weekend. But uh, in the West, it's more you have to sign up for a course like that rather than it's not part of a regular curriculum. But from a uh, class to class and in a class setting, mm-hmm. the practice is fairly s- uh, similar. Mm-hmm. Uh, but ob- obviously the naming is slightly different, the right. pace, the different styles of practices. You have various styles of uh, teaching mm-hmm. and various styles of practices. So they are uh, slightly different. In that right. Way. And then, you know, in... 
Um, in the West, you know, you'll often find all of these kind of different areas of yoga, the Bikram, Ashtanga. Uh, there's very many different kind of segments, so to speak, where yoga has kind of branched off and different teachers have maybe developed their own style. Mm -hmm. Is that something that they also have in India where there's kind of these many different branches or is yes, it? Yes, definitely. There are multiple branches of yoga. I mean, branches, I wouldn't say branches kind of different set of practices, mm. right? Um, there are their uh, schools like that, and they subscribe to different, slightly different philosophy or methodology of practicing the yoga. Mm -hmm. But most of them uh, trace the origins back to like Patanjali Yoga Sutras, uh, which are the, uh, I would say like the syllabus or a curriculum that was compiled and set uh, around like I don't know maybe 300 to 200 BC wow. in the time frame that was when it was compiled and most of the practices do trace back to the principles laid down in the uh, sutras. Right. Can you maybe give us a maybe overview of those original those original um, sutras? Sure. So uh, I mean most of the yoga teachers and practitioners they uh, sometimes there is chanting about Patanjali. Mm -hmm. um, uh, he's he's well known to be a sage. Uh, he lived in India. You know, date is very difficult to pin down, mm. but sometime between 300 BC to 200 BC. And that's supposed to be his time when he was um, you know working. Mm -hmm. And uh, what he did is there were again there were multiple ways of practicing yoga. And what he did is he compiled uh, all the practices as a set of curriculum. You mm -hmm. can say it's more of, it's not like a, a shloka or something it is meant for chanting. It is more like very dense aphorisms, mm -hmm. like a, a one sutra or a one uh, aphorism can be just three words long, but right. he packs in a lot of dense words which each word may have a lot of hidden meaning and he would say this is what it is so uh, so that's how we compiled it mm -hmm. they compiled it in uh, really four quadrants or padas and the first is very high level very for a person who has realized like mm. it's called samadhi pada which is Okay, the person has realized and this is what realization might look or these are the obstacles for realization mm. and that's how he starts the uh, sutras. The second uh, quadrant or the second pada is the sadhana pada. That's where he gets into how do you practice yoga. Mm. And there again, a lot of the, like it's about 50, 50 plus uh, sutras and the total is about 196, out of which roughly around 40, 50, 48 to 50 is how they are divided. Mm -hmm. And in the second uh, quadrant, the sage uh, talks a lot about the difficulties of doing the practice, what are the different variations in mind that can happen, mm -hmm. and what are the obstacles or how you can be delusioned into you know doing the wrong practice and then towards like shloka in year 20s he starts describing what is a um, asana and you know what are the different eight the ashtanga yoga that you mentioned mm -hmm. it is actually eight limbs of yoga or eight rungs of yoga and he starts mentioning them and he starts going deeper into explaining uh, what each one of them is. Wow. You know, here, oftentimes it is a um, physical goal that maybe brings someone to yoga. So they want to get more flexible or they want to lose weight or something like this. Um, in the West, I feel there's a very physical focus, mm -hmm. at least initially what may draw someone into yoga. But is the physical practice or the physical benefits, is that really the core of yoga or? 
Well, again, originally the way uh, the sage Patanjali compiled it, and you know various other yoga masters um, have practiced, it is meant to be a preparation for your higher level practice. Mm. In fact, for a asana, which is you know in a typical yoga class, people spend you know significant amount of time doing various different postures and asanas mm -hmm. and out of the 196 uh, sutras only three sutras are dedicated for asana wow and and the one line definition is whatever is stable whatever is comfortable is an asana that's all the definition is wow so the um i mean yoga when if you want to go back what is yoga it is it is it is to self-realize, to yoke your consciousness with the Supreme Consciousness. I mean, depending mm -hmm. on different uh, styles of philosophy, right? Right. You can say it's a method or a set of practices to realize oneself or to realize uh, that you are part of the, um, uh, you know, Supreme Consciousness, mm. a divine uh, being, whatever you may call different uh, schools of you know, philosophies have different way of doing it. And yoga was a means of doing it, or is right. a means of doing it. And that is how the practice is compiled and originally talked about. Right. And then the physical benefit, to your point, uh, there is a lot of set of practices and asanas and, you know, preparation for it helps with a lot of physical benefit. There is a lot of physical benefit. And then all the breath control or pranayama mm -hmm. uh, also helps with a lot of physical benefit, physical, mental benefits. And that is definitely a great gift, right? Mm -hmm. And um, there is nothing wrong in focusing on that and getting the benefit of that. Uh, but, you know, in the bigger picture of yoga, that is a part of it. So mm -hmm. you prepare yourself with your conduct and um, uh, observations uh, to be able to do the asanas and the pranayama and you start to withdraw from your sensual you know pressure things then you are focusing on your own mind and start to meditate more deeply so mm -hmm. that's the eight uh, limbs of yoga are spread out in that manner you can even think of them as hierarchical. Interesting. So you said that there's 196 sutras yes. and only three that are actually related to the physical movements yes. or moving through postures. Yes. Can you talk about maybe some of the others? Yes. So, um, again, the, the I mentioned about first quadrant, second quadrant. The third and the fourth quadrant are also, uh, especially the fourth quadrant, again talks about, uh, it's called Kaivalya Pada or Kaivalya Quarter. And it also talks about uh, the practices, the, uh, the um, challenges, and the feelings of a person who is self-realized. Mm -hmm. So the first and the fourth quadrant really talk about very high level for a person who is self-realized or who has accomplished a lot in his spiritual pursuit, that's where it focuses on. Mm -hmm. um, the second quadrant is where, you know, a lot of these Ashtanga Yoga is laid out there. Right. Uh, the eight limbs, which are the Yama, Niyama, Asana, Pranayama, Pratyahara, Dharana, Dhyana, and Samadhi. Uh, the first two, uh, Yama and Niyama, you can't really constrict them in a yoga class. You mm -hmm. can't do that in a class because it's about um, yamas are your own um, uh, practices. Like yeah. it, it says, you know, you shall be non-violent. You shall be truthful. Right. I um, mean, for example, right, and you won't steal anything from anybody. Mm -hmm. So those are your uh, core uh, observations, and you you do it yourself. Mm -hmm. And then the second one, Niyama, is again for your own um, uh, self-control or practices. Right? right. Something are okay, you shall be clean, uh, you shall be content, 
and uh, happy. So those are beyond the scope of a yoga class. Right. And then the third and the fourth, yoga, asanas and pranayamas, those are the practices. Asanas are, in fact, uh, all the physical postures and the movements to keep your body in a healthy enough state so you can sit long for your meditation practices. Mm -hmm. uh, it's a preparatory thing, right? And then pranayama is all about breath control and using different techniques uh, to calm down your breath. And the uh, sutras go a little bit deeper into pranayama where it says the exhalation shall be longer than inhalation and the, a successful pranayama practice would result in slower rate of breathing mm -hmm. for a you know, good practitioner. Right. So it goes into that. Right. I think so much of the, um, you know, ability of a yoga practice to kind of calm those sensations of stress or anxiety that, you know, our culture kind of um, is very, very heavy in those things. It's mm -hmm. always fast paced. Everything is very much, I feel, in a kind of race against time. Mm -hmm. And what that creates for, you know, those of us living in this culture is, um, you know, those kind of physical things like maybe increased blood pressure or just increased stress, always being in that physical um, sympathetic state or mm -hmm. the fight or flight state. Um, so I think that the element you know, of the pranayama and the asana that so many of us here in the West or maybe just kind of in those two sutras when we go to yoga class, we've been able to receive so much just from those simple elements. That, that's good. That's so good. then to kind of understand yoga in the context that, you know, these are just two of those eight branches or eight limbs of yoga, mm -hmm. that there's so much more that this practice has to offer Definitely, yes. Um, that maybe uh, if we've received so much just in these two sutras, just or these two limbs, that um, to be able to, you know, open up into these other parts of the practice and embracing that more traditional sense of yoga, we're able to receive so much more than we've already oh, yeah, definitely, gained. Definitely, definitely. I mean, as I said, right, I mean, you, you nailed it, actually. Um, the... Uh, definition of yoga is uh, to kind of reduce the unnecessary activity of mind. That's how mm. the sutra starts. That's the first sutra. Yoga Chittavati Nirodaha, right? Uh, but the whole rest of the sutras really get you towards that goal. Mm -hmm. You know, uh, being one's uh, self-realization, that's what it's all driving towards. And then, you know, it discusses a whole lot of other tangential things that may happen. Mm -hmm. um, different glaciers are talked about, you know, how people can get delusion. People can, mm. while in the path of a spiritual pursuit, uh, you know, their intention may be they want to really pursue spiritual goal, but they may get distracted. They may mm. encounter some other um, modifications. Right. So all those things are talked about. And uh, as uh, I was talking about earlier, the yamas and niyamas, uh, the five yamas and the five niyamas are just preparatory things um, which in and of themselves can reduce a lot of stress from one's life. Right? Mm -hmm. If you are, um, I mean, stealing is not in the gross sense, right? It's not only, oh, you, oh, I did, nobody robs a bank, but right. it's not in that sense. It is... Did you steal somebody's idea, somebody's credit, mm. your speech? Did you attribute something to yourself, right? right. Um, uh, which was, which you didn't probably, uh, was not the original claimant, right? Mm -hmm. So, uh, the in installation of the practice completely towards one's uh, life, in their speech, in their actions, in their thought, Mm -hmm. That is what will prep somebody for a spiritual pursuit, a higher level of spiritual pursuit. Right. And that is a you know an important part of the yoga practice as much as an asana practice or a pranayama practice. Right. You you're right. You you absolutely captured it very well. Mm -hmm. 
We'd like to briefly interrupt this interview to remind you that this podcast was made possible by listeners just like you. Become a supporter at patreon.com slash psychytruth, where you can watch the video version of this episode and all our podcast episodes. Plus, you'll gain access to over 500 videos of exclusive content, including premium courses and behind-the-scenes peaks. Help us keep this information free by visiting patreon.com slash psychytruth. That's patreon.com slash p-s-y-c-h-e-t-r-u-t-h. Can you talk a little bit about maybe some of the um, delusions or distractions that can come up when we're on the spiritual path? Uh, well, I mean, to an extent, right? Um, again, just to, uh, one thing I forgot to start off with is b- uh, both the uh, Patanjali Yoga Sutra's knowledge you have on any other spiritual practice, it is not my knowledge. Mm-hmm. It is, uh, I attend Chinmaya Mission here and there is a monk uh, who explains it very well mm-hmm. and I learn a lot from him. He's very knowledgeable. And, you know, I listen to some other discourses over the period of time mm-hmm. and it is whatever I've gathered from somebody else. It is not mine. Right. First thing. Uh, yes, so from a um, distraction point of view, at least in the Yoga Sutras, they talk about um, distractions are kleshas, four kleshas are talked about. Mostly all are around uh, you are pursuing a practice, maybe you are not really, you don't have the discriminating intellect yet, right? You don't know what is a uh, long-term um, beneficial thing from a practice point of view mm-hmm. versus a short-term beneficial thing from a practice point of view. Maybe you are too pursuant on one of the aspects and not the other. Maybe mm. you are not balanced, right? That's one of the clashes talked about. Uh, so overall, you may be too much uh, emotionally you know, involved with pursuit of a goal, like maybe your career or, mm. um, or uh, you know, uh, involved with a family member, you know, something like that. That can be a clash, right? So many things like that are talked about. Mm-hmm. And also uh, during the practice, for example, um, it kind of, as I said, it kind of goes about like a hierarchical uh, practice. So yama, niyama, prep you. Asana and um, pranayama prep your body and your breath and your mind. And uh, uh, pratyara is you withdraw your senses from too much engagement into uh, sense activities, right? Mm-hmm. For example, you want to eat good food. You want to eat. You want to see nice things, right? So you try to dissociate and start to develop the sense of a witness. Mm-hmm. It is not that I am eating food. I am noticing that I am enjoying this food, right? So the you know what in meditation it's called about the witness um, awareness. So you start to develop that. Mm-hmm. Then dharana is where you can you are taking an aid of an external thing to get your mind to focus on one thing. It can be a symbol, it can be a deity, it can be a chanting. Mm-hmm. Um, but you try to get your mind to flow in one uh, path and one path only with a little bit of effort. Then when you graduate to meditation or dhyana, I mean, you can't really translate some of the terms one-to-one in English, Mm -hmm. but the nearest to dhyana would be meditation. And in there, uh, you are trying to get to a meditative state without putting an undue effort, without putting a lot Mm. of effort. So you're naturally able to pause your mind uh, and achieve that meditative state. Again, all the preparation to do that, you can't just you know decide one day and say, okay, I'm going to meditate. The, if the preparation is not there, you will not be able to do it. You you'll have distractions. You'll have the mm-hmm. stresses and the strains, right. and that is talked about in the uh, sutra. Mm-hmm. When you talked about having um, 
a point of focus. It reminds me of the drishti. Yes. The point of focus. Can you talk a little bit about that? Yes. So dharana, uh, which is the aided meditation, if you will, right? Uh, the focus can be, uh, and even in the pranayama, the Patanjali Yoga Sutras talk about, the focus can be at the tip of your nose. It can be at um, in between your eyes or in between the eyebrows or what is called the third eye. It can be on an object in front of you, like a symbol or a deity, right? Mm-hmm. Um, it can be on a mantra. If you're you know, closing your eyes, if you're uh, chanting something internally, uh, the focus can be that. And that is aided meditation, right? So you are taking the aid of a some met- met- mechanism or a method mm. and you're trying to channel your awareness or your thought process either in the discovery path or just to calm it down and focus on that. Right? Mm-hmm. Discovery as in contemplative discovery, right? People maybe maybe are realization. Right. Or just to get your mind to focus on one um, area where it's like, you know, ultimate goal, what I'm told is, of a human being is self-realization. So to w- towards that, you have to get that awareness. It's easy to, uh, I mean, it's not easy. <laughs> it, <laughs> it can be challenging to grasp intellectually that you are the divine itself or you are the supreme consciousness. But to get that from an intellectual level to an experiential level, right. I'm told it is very difficult. And to get to that level, meditation is is the path. Mm. And, you know, you, you can use your chanting or a breath or um, a vision or a drishti to uh, focus on an object, focus on a symbol, focus on, you know, a mantra. Mm-hmm. But at some later point in time, you would see that that aid is no longer needed. Mm. You kind of move away from that. You are able to get to a meditative state without the aid. You, they say, uh, for example, if you're chanting mantra for meditation, focus on the mantra for a long time. Once your practice is, you know, and, and you will see your mind has wandered, it has, you know, it started to think other things, hmm. you gently bring it back, gently bring it back. But then when you are at a better uh, practice, when you're only practicing on the, when you're only focusing on the mantra or a chanting, then they say, okay, focus on the silence between the mantras or the gap. Mm. So there is nothingness, right? So that's how the, you know, spiritual practice is supposed to progress. Right. I love that um, kind of image of taking your focus from the physical, something physical in the environment or a sound or a physical vibration Mm -hmm. and then to move your focus to the space between, Mm -hmm. the silence between. That's just such a beautiful (laughs) kind of philosophy to think of. Can you talk a little bit about the chanting and the mantras? And oftentimes yoga class is begun with um, an om, mm-hmm. or where maybe the whole class will do an om together. Can you talk about how that originates and why that is such a kind of common practice in yoga? Yes, so om uh, is very interesting sound, right? Um, you can think of it as composed of three separate sounds, the ah, the u, and the ma. In, in fact, in my classes and in many classes when we do pranayama, we do s- separate out those component chants mm. and, and uh, uh, do those chanting with breath and with mudras and everything. But Om is said to be the pranayama mantra, the, the, the root chanting which is supposed to represent the supreme consciousness or the divine divinity itself. So uh, the the components of it, when you break it down into kind of you know three ovals or three sounds, the ah uh and the oo uh and the ma, ah uh, really 
comes up from the back of the throat or from the gut. Uh, Oo is a little bit more in the mouth and mm. ma is towards the tongue. So, right. And if you look at most of the uh, Indian languages, the way the letters are laid out, um, the alphabets, what I mean is, there are five families of alphabets and uh, the families are Kha really starts from the back of the throat and the ma, uh, the last set of fives, they're mostly towards the tip of the, you know, our lips. Actually, lips have to um, touch each other to make the sound. Mm. So they kind of go go up and down. So I'm told Om is an all-encompassing um, sound which represents divinity itself. And that is a sound that is, you know, universally practiced mm -hmm. for uh, yoga classes. Yeah. And uh, again, uh, from a mantra's point of view, different classes, different schools of yoga practice different mantras. Mm -hmm. Typically, it's customary to start something with a prayer, and the prayer could be, hey, we are embarking on an effort or a exercise where I want to learn from you, you want to learn from me, and uh, let us both achieve um, uh, you know progress mm -hmm. I mean, that's kind of one of the chanting right sahana bhavatu sahana bunaktu sahviryam karavavahai tejasvinavadi tapastu mavidvishavahai om shanti 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 so that is one of the practices many schools use that and mm -hmm. i use that in my yoga class there is one more chanting or one more mantra which is again preparation right it's it's at the beginning and that is about the sage Patanjali itself. So, um, for the in in honor of the sage Patanjali, uh, there is a mantra. You know, yogena chittasya padena vacha malam sharirasya chavaidyakena yopakarotam pravaram muninam patanjalim pranjalim liranatosmi. So that mantra essentially says that um, it addresses to uh, the sage Patanjali and says that hey you have again there is theories right uh, that he was a medicine man and also a grammarian so it says um, hey you who has invented grammar or codified grammars uh, where you are a doctor and have you know, helped with uh, helped with the uh, uh, benefit of health, mm. and uh, through yoga, who has helped eliminate ills from the body. Mm. Uh, in honor of you, we salute you. Right. So that's kind of when the prayers it goes right. So two things. But you asked a, the question about mantras during the uh, meditation. So. Before we get there, let me take a li little bit detour, uh, detour into pranayama itself. Mm -hmm. So, for example, in pranayama, at least in my uh, classes, um, the emphasis is on making the exhalation longer than inhalation. And to do that, I mean, nobody is sitting with their stop clock and uh, <laughs> measuring every breath, right? Right. Uh, so in your mind, you can use any chanting. I mean, if you want to be completely secular, you can say, okay, just do count, right? You know, one Mississippi, two Mississippi <laughs> type of count. Or you can use any mantra of your choice. Right. Uh, if you have a deity, you can definitely use the name of the deity, or, you know, salutations to deity ABC, you can definitely use a mantra like that and make the number of chants of that during an inhalation, let us say it is, you are able to slow down the inhalation and chant a mantra six times. Mm -hmm. While exhaling, you try to chant the same mantra about eight times. So you kind of maintain that ratio, right? So right. that's one way of doing it. And the mantra, again, it's supposed to help with uh, dharana and also with uh, dhyana, with meditation. Mm -hmm. 
and people might change it out. Uh, but if you have something that is favorite and that is um, uh, people like one mantra or one vision or one image mm-hmm. uh, uh, or even a candlelight uh, which you are focusing, mm. uh, that is good enough for a focus. So it's an aid is an aid, right? A tool is a tool. So you use whatever tool that is um, uh, working for you right. to pursue the meditation practice. Interesting. I think too, you know, you kind of mentioned that, you know, the different practitioners may want to have a more, as you said, you know, secular practice where they're maybe not using the traditional chants. Mm-hmm. Maybe they have um, a simple mantra like I am breathing in mm-hmm. and I am breathing out. Yes. I have heard in classes and it is true that just having, I like how you said, the tool, the mm-hmm. aid of focus, whatever this may be. Mm-hmm. This may be your own personal words or I, even counting Mississippis as an example. Mm-hmm. Um, are there any recommendations that you have for people into maybe how they could choose a mantra for them or if they, you know, sometimes we're instructed at beginning of class to set an intention. Mm-hmm. Just any thoughts that you might have for people who maybe aren't quite sure what to use as an intention or as their mantra? Yeah, so the intention is fairly powerful, right? Um, intention is not only for a class. For example, if you're doing any ritual, like, like a puja or something, mm-hmm. uh, the first step is called sankalpa or an intention where uh, you are declaring you know, to the cosmos that, hey, in such and such a cosmic time, uh, in this yuga, in this year, in this such a month, such a week, such a day of the week, um, in this hour, in this minute, I am intending to you know, pursue this uh, activity. So you, you set that intention. And also, for example, while uh, one of the sankalpas is you specify the geography, but you don't start with, you know, hey, in this town or in the city, you start in the cosmos. You say in the cosmos, in a galaxy, you know, in the uh, solar system that I'm in, on the surface of the earth, in this continent, in this country, in this state, in this, so you kind of coming all the way. Mm-hmm. So the setting an intention to a practice is very important. Mm-hmm. Uh, so at the beginning of a class, for example, if you're getting into yoga class and it is one hour or one hour, 15 minutes or you know whatever time that you are going to spend, setting that in- intention can be very powerful. It can yield benefits in a very much significant level then you're coming in, maybe you're confused, you're coming from work, you're stressed out, whatever. Mm. You get into the practice, uh, for a, for example, an exercise, like heavily engaged exercise session uh, can be, uh, you're just distracted, you're completely focused on that, and, and again, you come back to, uh, you know, whatever your stress is. But with a yoga practice, if you can set the intention and say, during the next duration of the class, I'm going to bring my awareness to the practice I'm doing, mm. right? So in my yoga class, uh, I try to hint at that uh, to the students that, hey, when you are stretching in a particular manner, for example, let's say, take, take one uh, asana, for example, I'm doing cobra pose. Just focus on your lower back, focus on your abdomen, focus on your neck, focus on the wrists where the weight, you know, you're not really typically used to uh, bearing the weight of the body on your wrist. In that pose you are, so focus on that Mm. so as to um, move your awareness to the practice and away from the other things. Mm -hmm. So setting that intention and saying that, hey, I'm going to be here and now, and I'm going to be mindful of that, 
that is the preparation that is the asana right so asana mm. and pranayama are supposed to help you know people to be there right there be mindful of it be aware that hey i am doing this practice for my own spiritual upliftment mm. and uh, you know this definitely the side benefit is you are away from the stresses and other things mm-hmm. you spoke at the beginning about the um cleansing benefits mm-hmm. of yoga mm-hmm. which are maybe not as much seen in the western practice where mm-hmm. we primarily focus on the asana and the pranayama can you talk more about um i guess those cleansing um philosophies and how maybe we could um integrate more of that into our yoga practice here yes so cleansing techniques um there are you know multiple levels of cleansing techniques right and some involve um little more infrastructure for for the lack of a better term right uh so for example in pranayama practices uh you see even in 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 austin area and in my classes we do practice a little bit of cleansing to expel the carbon dioxide out of the system mm. to prepare for pranayama so that's like one easy cleansing technique kapalabhati or bastrika one of those techniques are used but bastrika can also elevate one's uh blood pressure so it's not many teachers you know don't try to address that mm-hmm. unless they know the students and you know their capabilities and their conditions mm-hmm. uh some of the other cleansing techniques are um navli which is like cleansing of the digestive system mm. and it is a practice where it's you you use different muscles and mudras and the posture to kind of rotate your intestine inside mm. of the uh, stomach but you do it with your stomach muscles and abdominal muscles right that's again that's it can be done in a class but i have not seen that done in us mostly mm. um but other cleansing techniques there are you know various different cleansing techniques in different schools of yoga they involve a lot more infrastructure for example you know um cleansing your nostrils and nasal passage it can be done with a neti pot mm-hmm. uh, many people do it here but they do it you know in their homes or in in retreats and things like that mm-hmm. and then there is a way of uh, running a rubber catheter or a rubber tube uh, from your mouth to the nostril right wow. or from the nostril to the mouth right so again to massage out the muscles inside the uh, nostril nasal passage in that involves a lot more infrastructure you need access to water you need sink you need lot mm-hmm. more other uh facilities to be able to practice it right mm-hmm. there are techniques which involve drinking a lot of saline water and then you you know expel it out but in, that involves a lot more infrastructure so it's probably my guess is it's just a infrastructure thing and mm-hmm. also you know people have to be prepared to you know go with the practice right. so that's one of the reasons probably it's not practiced as much interesting and then i think about in um you know for instance the eagle pose mm-hmm. where you're kind of bringing constriction mm-hmm. to different parts of the body and then when you release the pose there's um an effect of cleansing or purging mm-hmm. maybe mm-hmm. is that something that's common in a lot of the asanas this idea of yeah. kind of creating constriction in the pose that then when released has that cleansing benefit i i don't know if it is cleansing benefit but definitely asanas are advised to be practiced in a complementary manner mm. for example if you are doing a lot of constriction you counter that with a different practice you did a lot of forward bending you do a little bit of backward bending mm-hmm. uh, again to balance right and most of the asanas the way they are laid out they are self complementary you do right side and you do left side uh, uh so that to bring about the balance in the body because mm-hmm. uh, many of us you know we may have a little bit of asymmetry in the body mm-hmm. and and you don't want to perpetuate that or you want to make sure that 
the practice provides that balance mm-hmm. so yes so i mean i don't know if it is focused on cleansing but it is definitely focused on different muscles different uh body parts mm-hmm. and then there is a complementary side to it once you get out of an asana or out of a posture um typically do the opposite one mm-hmm. the podcast you are listening to was brought to you by wellnessplus.tv a subscription service empowering you with everything you need to take control of your health and happiness. Sign up for your free trial today to watch the video version of this episode and all our podcast episodes. Plus, you'll gain access to our extensive library including hundreds of follow-along yoga and fitness courses, massage therapy tutorials, weight loss information, guided meditations, educational health videos, and so much more. Feel better, look better, and live better today by visiting wellnessplus.tv. So thinking of this idea of the balance that you have between the different asanas, um, one of the other things that is quite common is the um, people will instruct to engage a bandha or mm-hmm. lock. Mm-hmm. Can you talk a little bit about what that means and uh, what is the benefit? Got it. So um, bandhas and mudras, right, they're kind of go hand in hand but uh, bandhas are used mostly in some of the practices to affect certain you know chakras or part of the kundalini it kind of gets into kundalini side of the yoga practices mm. and for example the um uh, muladhara bandha or the uh, uh, it is for base you know for your base and then there are bandhas where you um uh, suck in your abdomen and tighten it for uh, navel uh, chakra right mm. so they affect bandhas in that manner in the sense they start to activate your energy centers with specific way of doing neuromuscular locks mm. uh, so they do have a lot of benefits and uh, mudras which are like a different way but mostly done with hands and the kind of symbols right um they do provide awareness i mean you, maybe mm-hmm. you are holding hand in a particular uh, fashion at a superficial level you are aware that hey my thumb is touching my index finger right mm-hmm. but at a neuromuscular level uh, specific things are getting activated and you are activating like for example when you do chin mudra and when you are uh, chanting i mean we kind of going back to our uh, uh, discussion about om and when you are decomposing om into three components and talking and chanting akar they do the mudras do have their own um, benefit in perceiving those vibrations when you are chanting and you you apply a mudra you are able to perceive the chant like or the vibrations mm. in your leg region or even your chest region or in your head region uh, more um uh, whatever what what would i say more appropriately or more you may see a vibration differently mm. between mudra practices and also for example um i don't know the name of it uh, but uh, while chanting a makar or a ma you can do it normally or you can even take the tip of your tongue and touch to the palate and you will see a significant difference in the type of vibrations in your head region when you are again when you are perceiving you will notice the difference wow and then in general the the original sanskrit names of the different asanas those have the same um i guess vibrational effects so to speak so the name is not arbitrary but yes. that the sanskrit name of the pose that when you say it it also helps to feel the vibration or conduct yes. the vibration yes yes so um there are two 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 sides to that very good question so there is a 
lot many asanas where the names are pure descriptive names of the asanas mm-hmm. but there are also what are known as bija mantras or mantras so for example with uh, surya namaskar and the sun salutation uh, in my class i do employ like at the beginning of each round i do employ a mantra and it starts with a particular chant uh, a a combination of a oval and a uh, consonant sound plus a name of you know the sun god mm-hmm. um and that bija mantra is supposed to help with a practice right it is, is uh, again the vibrations are also supposed to help and um uh in in, in my own practice i really didn't really pay much attention to vibrations for a long time uh only in when i was a student in boston uh, when i was undergoing this teacher training course that's when i started to really see the difference okay i can perceive vibrations in my chest region and my head region and you know mm. in uh, whatever oh there is really uh, uh you know a credibility to it Uh, but it's fairly difficult to perceive it it's not very easy to find it mm. because you are not um one may not be as prepared as one should be right for example you are if you are just beginning in the practice you may not see the vibrations you may not see the benefit of the vibrations mm-hmm. because it you get more subtle and subtle and subtle in your practice as you make progress uh, versus you're doing it purely as a physical exercise you may not be perceiving much of uh, the vibrations and and also may not be reaping the benefits of the vibrations mm-hmm. and you know this term awareness mm-hmm. comes to mind you know as you engage in the practice and explore and revisit the postures or revisit the um different flows or sequences of asanas regularly your awareness your ability to notice those different things yes. starts to change that definitely yes. and then even your awareness when you're not on your yoga mat mm-hmm. that maybe you start to notice things like your posture yes. or you know one of the big things for me i hear this you know oftentimes in yoga class you know to relax your face mm-hmm. smile relax your eyebrows because you you notice that when you're you know highly concentrated on something and focused oftentimes you know, the brow is furrowing or the jaw is clenching um and of course that again not only on the yoga mat but then in your life as well yes. so as you continue this practice of yoga and your awareness grows even more mm-hmm. that now i notice a lot you know i notice if i'm frowning or i notice if i'm just kind of have this stress on my yes. face um and so i think about that too that you know as you're talking about your own experience through this practice that maybe in the beginning it was hard to even observe yes that there was a you know a strong physical sensation that accompanied doing the chanting or a reason behind you know doing the om at the beginning of class that your own awareness transforms oh, yeah, so much definitely. over right. over time right. i mean i used to do pretty much the same practice right the uh the certification i got is from the same institution where i was going uh, to learn yoga as a high school uh, kid right the same institution same set of practices but my practice at a much later stage was different than when i was mm. doing as a high school kid because there i was not really i mean i did not have obviously i did not have the theoretical understanding of it at the time mm-hmm. and it was very physical and i used to just do the exercises you know and get out of the class right uh, but as i progressed i did see that difference my own perception of vibrations you know during the chanting and during the different uh, mudras have different effect mm-hmm. and uh, that you know okay and that and then when i 
once in a while when I read back the sutras and okay, there is a correlation here. It's not, it's not a random science. It is mm. either one person's you know infinite wisdom that has been condensed here, or a lot of people who have put in a lot of time in their contemplative state and have devised these techniques, and then one sage or one person has condensed all that wisdom into a very dense uh, compendium or, or syllabus. Mm -hmm. so. If you were to, um, you know, kind of speaking to our uh, to our audience, and I think people will have a a varying experience of yoga. Maybe some of our listeners have been practicing for many years. Maybe some of our listeners are m more new to yoga. What would you say are, you know, maybe the obstacles, common obstacles that people may experience in a yoga practice and what you would um, advise to them to maybe help them through those obstacles? Yeah, so... I mean, the, the obvious things are physical, right? I mean, uh, you need to have the time, the resources to get to a class and, and being able to do it, right? And any uh, injury and, you know, medical state that may prevent you from practicing, those are very obvious mm -hmm. obstacles. The, uh, the next level is limiting the practice to physical only, right? Or, or a putting a mental block and saying that, hey, this is a physical practice and I'm doing it for this benefit. Nothing wrong with that, but that is not the full picture, mm -hmm. right? So it's a, um, a path to a spiritual journey and, um, and having that awareness probably would be very good. Mm and say that, okay, I'm doing this not only as a means to better my myself in terms of my physical, you know, body or keeping away diseases or whatever, but also it's a method to uh, improve my spiritual awareness and, and, you know, pursue whatever spiritual path it is, whether it is not like, I'm not talking about in the terms of Hinduism or a particular uh, philosophy of or school of thought of philosophy it can be whatever be one's spiritual pursuit mm. but using yoga as a tool would really make it better mm. so I mean I, I wouldn't say it's like an, I mean your question was most on the obst obstacle side but I would turn it around and say use it as a stepping stone or use it as a stepping stone or a you know a tool to improve your practice and and if when you see that in that light you will find ways to overcome your obstacles i love that answer thank you um yeah you know, i think that so much of um maybe our our frustration on the mat or our feeling um you know feeling uh, maybe just the perception of an obstacle mm -hmm. that maybe someone is struggling with a certain asana or with a certain um, uh, expression that they're wanting to show um, that a lot of times it's maybe not a physical limitation a physical obstacle mm -hmm. but the mental obstacle mm -hmm. or just perception of an obstacle that's stopping you from being able to um, you know, move deeper into a pose or something like this. Yes. Um, and how much that is maybe a mirror for our lives mm -hmm. that we, um, you know, perceive these different things in our lives as mm -hmm. obstacles and sources of frustration. But the more that we learn maybe from our yoga practice, how, um, you know, like you're just saying to not focus on the obstacle to see that what we're doing is a path toward um, improving ourselves yes. and, and achieving whether you want to 
have that more spiritual side or whether you want to have the more secular side that I'm just achieving my own um, highest potential and my own happiness and contentedness. You 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 capture it very well. Uh, Again, so from a asana, I mean, kind of kind of where we touched upon earlier in the uh, uh, talk, we talked about how the sage Patanjali focuses about three sutras out of the 196 for asanas, right? Mm-hmm. So asana is not getting that posture like everybody else in the class mm-hmm. or like your teacher. It is what is it for you, mm-hmm. right? Um, if you are getting the benefit of an asana and you are able to get your awareness to the practice and say, okay, hey, I am seeing an increased weight on my wrist, for example, or I'm bending over in this way and I'm engaging my calf muscles, which I had not engaged usually during my walking. Mm. If you can get that, that is probably better uh, or a more you know, beneficial than actually getting the pose to look like somebody else's practice. Somebody mm. else may have a better, I mean, more flexible body or, you know, they may be more athletic or uh, it doesn't, it, it's, each person is different, right? Mm-hmm. So individualizing that practice and, and being um, happy or, I mean, one of the niyamas says santosha, right? It's uh, being content hey, I am doing this practice to the best of my ability, this posture, and I am reaping the benefit. Mm-hmm. So getting that mindset, uh, tuning that mindset is probably more important than actually, you know, having a posture that looks like your neighbor. Mm-hmm. At the very beginning, you had said something about um, finding, I think it was like finding stability in the pose. Mm-hmm is the ultimate goal. So however you um, modify or use maybe a prop or something to help you become comfortable. Yes. So the goal is not to make, as you said, make my body look the way that my neighbor's body or this person does, um, but to find my own comfort in the pose. Comfort and stability. So the the sutra is uh, stiram sukham asanam, three words. Um, What is uh, stable and what is comfortable is a posture. That's Mm. all the definition is of an asana. And that's eventually when the the actual asanas, there are like you know, hundreds of asanas, different schools of yoga have invented a whole lot of asanas mm-hmm. uh, based on, you know, various different, engaging different body parts, uh, different uh, benefits. Each asana has a lot of benefits, definitely, right? Mm-hmm. No, no doubt about it. But looking at an asana in that context helps you. As in, hey, I'm not doing it just to look like this, just to get my body in this posture, that is a part of the goal. Mm. But the majority of part of the goal is, am I getting my mind to be aware of what I'm doing? Am I being mindful about it? And um, am I getting the benefit of the practice? Right? Mm-hmm. If I'm balancing or if I'm, you know, doing a downward dog and engaging my calf muscles or a um, side angle pose, Parshvakonasana, and engaging the calf muscles, the ankles uh, and my thigh muscles, I engage my thigh muscles differently than, you know, somebody else. Mm. And they may get more deeper into the uh, pose, they may be able to bend, you know, lower, somebody else may not be. But that is not the goal of the practice. The goal of the practice is, hey, am I getting the benefit mm-hmm. right now? So, so again, bringing your awareness back to the um, practice is the, I mean, I, I, in my opinion, 
I think that's a better way to think about the asanas and the practices. Mm-hmm. And then do you have any um, closing thoughts that you would want to share? Um, well, I mean, obviously, uh, one thing, uh, uh, thanks for, uh, you know, for the talk and this opportunity to talk about it. Oh. And in closing, what I can say is, uh, think of yoga as a, a means of spiritual or asana practices and pranayama practices as a means or a tools for spiritual growth and not just as a uh, physical set of exercises for physical benefit. There is nothing wrong with that. Def- definitely there is benefit. Uh, and you can, one can stop at that benefit, mm-hmm. but it is more than that. And if you can uh, think about that in that manner, that will be great uh, benefit. Right. And just maybe opening yourself to things that maybe you aren't really aware of that yes. could be there. You know, thinking back when you were a teenager practicing yoga, you didn't necessarily know that there is so much that you're not seeing. Oh, yeah, obviously. You know? so obviously it's, I did not know. <laughs> yeah, kind of this element that... Um, you know, as you open yourself to maybe new things that you are not even expecting to be there and just being very open minded, mm-hmm. which on its own is maybe a practice that we should try to engage in more in mm-hmm. our lives. Um, I want to thank you so much for joining me here on the podcast. Um, I would love to have you back again sure. to Look continue thank our conversation. Thanks for uh, inviting me. And uh, I mean, one thing I have to emphasize, maybe I did it too, multiple times. This is not just my thoughts and my mm. uh, inputs or something, right? It is wisdom has been there for thousands of years. And many, many people have spent a lot more time and effort and thought on understanding this. Mm. I'm only describing like a <laughs> part of it, a very small part of it. Right. Well, I thank you so much for sharing this with us, and I look forward to having you again on the program. Thank you. Definitely. I want to thank all of you for tuning in to the podcast. I truly hope that you have learned something here today and are maybe encouraged to join us on the mat for yoga class or even visit Chandra. We will include that link for you in the description of this podcast. I want to thank all of you so much for listening and wish you a very, very happy rest of your day. Come back and join us again soon. The Wellness Plus Podcast. Copyright 2018. Target Public Media, LLC. All rights reserved.